We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome into Candlestick Chronicles, a 49ers podcast on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Kyle Madsen. I write about the 49ers over at NinersWire.com, part of the USA Today Sports Media Group. Joining me right now, Chris Biederman of the Sacramento Bee. And before we get to 49ers Browns content, let's talk about our friends over at Lamb Chops. SGLambchops.com is the website. Follow them on Instagram at SGLambchops to get up-to-date looks at all their latest styles. You can use promo code CANDLESTICK20 at their website, SGLambchops.com and get 20% off your order today. Hoodies, joggers, shorts, tees. It's all dope. And Chris, looking dope. Nothing more important than looking dope. Nothing more important. SGLambchops.com. Use promo code CANDLESTICK20 for 20% off your order today. We are also sponsored by Cooperage Brewing. CooperageBrewing.com is the website. At that website, if you're over 21 and in the state of California, you can order a case of beer, and they will ship it directly to your door. It's the best way to acquire beer or you can go hang out at the brewery in Santa Rosa. Super good vibes. Always a good food truck out there. Not to mention the very good beer. Whether you like <laughs> whether you like IPAs or you like a lager or you like a Pilsner or you're looking for something dark or you're looking for a seltzer, they have something for every taste. So visit Cooperage Brewing today and hit cooperagebrewing.com and order your case today. All right, let's dive into this 49ers-Browns preview. Blue Wire. Hey, this is George Kittle, and you're listening to Candlestick Chronicles. Kittle in Denver territory! Kittle is gonna go! Touchdown! got him, and a sack him back inside the 30-yard line. Nick Bosa drops Aaron Rodgers for a 13-yard line. Hey, Matt Mayoko is going to come on the pod. Oh, oh yeah. And our special guest, Matt Mayoko, will also be here. <laughs> I was so worried about making sure I got our sponsors right that I forgot our guest of honor. Matt hey, Mayoko, the, sponsors, covered... the sponsors pay way better than Mayoko does, so I don't blame you for that. <laughs> <laughs> Matt Mayoko, who has covered the 49ers since their inception in 1946. Just been doing this since the dawn us. of time. <laughs> <laughs> Matt Mayoko, who may have invented football. <laughs> joins us. No, uh, really good chat with Matt. That's coming up. Uh, but first, let's preview this 49ers Browns game. Here we go. All right. 49ers, Browns, no Deshaun Watson. And this is bizarre. So Deshaun Watson, according to Justina Anderson, not going to play. He injured himself in week three. He injured his throwing shoulder. He was cleared to play in week four and was questionable. And then just right before the game decided he's not going to play is how I've interpreted the reporting. And rookie quarterback Dorian Thompson Robinson learned right before the game that he was going to make his first NFL start. And it didn't go well. It was a 28-3 loss to the Ravens. The Browns get the bye week. And then Deshaun Watson this week didn't practice Wednesday, didn't practice Thursday, and is now not going to play in Sunday's game, which, you know, any, any given Sunday is a phrase I've heard before, but this just removes a lot of the intrigue for me. And it really decreases the chances of a, of a Browns upset here. 
Yeah, there's no doubt about it. And to me, my read from afar, uh, again, this is just me perusing the internet and and seeing what's been written about Deshaun Watson and the situation. Um, I think Watson's handling this horribly. I would be really, really upset if I was Browns fan. I'd be really upset if I was paying Deshaun Watson a $230 million contract that just so happens to be fully guaranteed. Because look, Deshaun Watson can get hurt and can miss the rest of the season and still be financially secure because of that contract that again is fully guaranteed. So this is not a player and I get it. Like, you know, I don't know what the injury is, but obviously Cleveland's medical staff felt good enough to clear him um, before the last game. And it's been two weeks since then. And Deshaun Watson's ducking the media. He left his teammates out to dry in that game uh, before the bye week. And I just don't find any of this positive from Deshaun Watson's standpoint. And he could stand up and, you know, let the world know what's going on and just have a conversation on the record with the local reporters, but he's not going to. And here's the thing. All you have to do is lie or say your day to day. And you don't know, like when you decide to avoid the media and, and duck the responsibility you have as a franchise quarterback to be the de facto spokesman of the team, then that's just a really bad look in my opinion. And I just think that um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if this situation just ke- keeps getting weirder and weirder and more dramatic and more dramatic with the next piece coming out from somewhere in Cleveland saying Cleveland players are turning on their quarterback. Like to me, this is how toxic situations happen. It's when it's when quarterbacks or players in positions of leadership are not exuding any leadership qualities right and and to to be cleared to play and then to back out at the last second after you were talking all week like you were going to play and leaving your teammates out to dry like that like to me that's a bad look not standing up and just like letting the media know what's happening and trying to provide a little bit of clarity is a bad look and even if there were there was no clarity you can say that you can go to the media and say yeah my shoulder's hurting me i'm day to day i don't know what the situation is and leave it at that you don't have to necessarily tell the truth that's that's what I think players and professional athletes overall don't understand is like the, all the media wants is a soundbite, just something to use. And like, you don't, you can provide clarity or not. You don't necessarily have to be truthful. Like it don't be dishonest, but you can just say like, yeah, I don't know what the situation is. I'm day to day and we'll leave it at that. He's not doing that. The Browns feel like they're in a bad way right now. And it's hard to imagine, like you said, a young quarterback, whether it's PJ Walker or the rookie from UCLA coming in and, and beating arguably or one of the three best defenses in the NFL. Yeah. My and, and if no, and I appreciate it and I don't have a ton to add, <laughs> but he could also score points as a leader for his team and go, you know what? I don't feel that I could, I can help the team right now to the best of my abilities. I'm going to do everything I can to make sure Dorian Thompson Robinson or, or Philip Walker, whoever is going to play for them is, is ready to play this week. That's, you know, my job as a leader on the scene. Da, da, da. It's, it's easy. It's so easy. Yeah. So I, I just, I, <laughs> for a lot of reasons, you know, I'm out on Deshaun Watson Yes. and <laughs> the fact that he, the fact that he does this now is, uh, Pretty lame. Sure like this is a team. The, the Browns. The Browns are a team that's good enough to to win that division and make hay in the playoffs. They're absolutely that good. Yeah, and it's just not been good enough. But you have to like you have to be somebody your teammates want to play with, play for. Right. And it's hard to imagine that Deshaun Watson's doing that right now because everyone. If I'm in that locker room, I'm looking at him sideways, just be like, bro, just talk to the media so we don't have to answer these questions on your behalf. Because that's yeah. what happens when one player ducks the media, then ever then all the other players are left to fend for themselves and answer on behalf of Deshaun Watson. Yeah, and that and you're just putting everybody that's in a bad trash. spot. That's yeah. it's terrible. All right, so that's our rant on 49ers Browns. Let's get to let's get to Cooper's what's on tap. Brought to you by Cooper's Brewing. Chris, what's on tap for Sunday? There might be some rain on tap. Um, oh. you, you, you check the forecast and it looks like it's going to rain. Um, it's going to rain Saturday for sure. And it looks like it's there, there's a decent chance it rains Sunday through Tuesday. Um, I don't know 
I don't have uh, intricate knowledge of the facilities in Cleveland and what the turf situation is like. But um, I do wonder if the rain can be bad enough to where it impacts the game. Um, and I think the rain has to be pretty considerable for it to impact the game. I think if there's a little bit of rain, then it's probably not going to impact the game all that much. But right. we've seen it, right? Like we we saw that monsoon game uh, 2021 at Levi's where the Niners and Colts couldn't really do anything offensively because of the rain. We saw in 2019 the Washington game um, where the Niners won, what, nine to nothing on three field goals, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the rain heavily impacted that game and sort of leveled the playing field, I would say. Um, so I'm curious if this game ends up being closer because the weather makes it sort of a game where neither team feels super comfortable throwing the ball. And then it's just trying like two teams trying to run against really good run defenses. Um, yeah. So I, I would I would wonder. And again, maybe it won't. But I, I think we'd be remiss in previewing this game if we didn't at least mention what the weather could be and how it could impact it. Yeah, and I think given the Browns quarterback situation, it wouldn't surprise me even if it was 65 degrees and sunny, if it had the look of a game that was being played in a monsoon where it's the Browns trying to limit what the responsibility of their of their quarterback, their perhaps backup or third string quarterback and just try to run the heck out of the ball. And then the 49ers you know, trying to figure out how to move the ball against a, a really, really good Browns defense. And it just kind of being a low scoring affair, regardless of what the weather looks like. So with that said, uh, I've got on tap, the 49ers scoring less than 24 points, not just less than 30, but, but fewer than, than fewer than 24 points. Sorry. Thanks for getting that right. You were dude. You had the <laughs> vein in your neck. It is, off. it is the yeah. most, like, I, like I'm not super grammar police guy, but it is the most commonly made mistake in the English language. It is less than versus fewer. Speaking of that, prize picks coming up shortly. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think I think the Niners are going to score fewer than 24 points, and I, I I might be comfortable saying fewer than 21, but I'm not quite there. So I'm going to say fewer than 24 points, and I think they're just going to have a hard time moving the ball against the Browns. The Browns, yeah, are, they, they have the ability to get the A, they're very good against the run, but they are good enough in the secondary to limit the big explosive plays that the Niners have used to, to kind of rack up these 30 plus point games. And then they can also get home with four where they're dropping seven. And that is any quarterback, not just Brock Purdy, that is any quarterback's kryptonite where you are pressuring him without sending blitzers. And the Browns do that as well as any team in the league. Not to belabor the the rain point too, but even going back to the 2021 season opener against the Bears, the mm-hmm. Niners were dramatically better than the Bears, right? 22. 22, sorry. Dramatically better than the Bears. The Bears ended up with the worst record in the league. They had the number one pick that they traded to, uh, yeah, Carolina. that they traded to Carolina. So the Niners went to the NFC Championship game and the Bears had the first pick in the draft and the Niners still lost. Um mm-hmm. And the Niners couldn't move the ball against the Brown, the Bears, in large part because of the rain and maybe Trey Lance had issues. Um, but, sure, <laughs> but I think that that goes hand in hand with what you're saying. With them probably not scoring a ton of points, it's hard to imagine if the weather's an issue. The the Browns' defense is so good that Niners aren't aren't going to put 42 on them. I don't think. Can I give my second what's on tap since it relates to my first one? Yeah. I think Brock Purdy throws an interception this week. Whoa. Yeah, man. Like, he's going to throw one eventually. He's not going to go all year without throwing one. Believe it or not, that's not the hottest take that comes out of this podcast episode. Just keep listening. <laughs> Matt Mayoko coming up. <laughs> <laughs> no, but but yeah, the hot take artist himself. No, I, <laughs> I, think he th- I think he throws an interception. And that goes to Miles Garrett being able to affect games as well or or better than every other edge rusher in the league and it leads to mistakes by quarterbacks like that's what happens so maybe the rain helps with that and the the, the throw slips out of Purdy's hand or he just has to get rid of a ball quicker than he wants and the Browns are good enough in the secondary that they're going to take advantage if if Purdy makes a mistake so I I do think he throws a pick in this one 
Yeah, I'm with you. The Browns have really good corners. Um, yeah. And Grant Delpit, one of their safeties, having a, having a huge year. Yeah, Denzel Ward's really good. They have Zadarius Smith also, who's really good, um, rushing the passer. Greg Newsom is really good. They they're loaded on that on that defense. Um, I'm actually going to disagree with you on one of my what's on taps. You and this son is largely bitch. <laughs> this is largely based on what happened last week against Dallas and what they're able to do against Micah Parsons. Mm-hmm. Um, the 49ers threw so many different looks against Micah Parsons, and we mm-hmm. talked about it afterwards. But I think the Niners are probably the team in the NFL that's best equipped to handle an elite edge rusher. And outside of TJ Watt, like who I think the, that was probably a learning experience, right? Week one, like, okay, we probably don't want to put Colton McKivitz on an island against an elite pass rusher like that. And they didn't really do it against Micah Parsons. And obviously that proved dividends, right? Like, so I think, I think it's going to be a lot of different looks for Miles Garrett. I do think though, it's going to be a bit more challenging than Micah Parsons because Miles Garrett is a lot bigger than Micah Parsons. Like Micah is like the size of a linebacker, right? Right. Like 240, 250 pounds, something like that. Garrett is like 280 pounds and rocked up. So it's not like Kyle, you. Hoss. (laughs) I, yeah, I, uh, I, I've stood next to Miles Garrett and he's, he's a large, large human. Um, and I don't think that Kyle Juszczyk or George Kittle will have the same type of impact blocking Miles Garrett than those guys did throwing different looks at Micah Parsons. But I do think the Niners are really well equipped and I do trust Kyle Shanahan's going to have a good plan. So mm-hmm. I, I would say the Niners do a relatively good job of preventing Miles Garrett from ruining the game for them. And I think the rain is all like could potentially factor in. Like, I think it's going to be a low scoring defensive slugfest that the 49ers are probably going to win. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think there's going to be a lot of like seven step drops for Brock Purdy and Miles Garrett going against Colton McKivitz, right? Like, I think it's even in long yard situations that they're, they're going to do what they can to get rid of the, to get the ball out of Brock Purdy's hands quickly. Yeah, no, I, I think you're right for sure. But also, Miles Garrett is just a better pass rusher than Micah Parsons. Like that's just at least statistically anyway. And it it feels like a trying to throw some of the same stuff at him. They've put it on tape now. And B, Garrett is a is a I think because maybe because of his size is more equipped to rush from different angles and different areas of the field. And we've seen him kind of line up over centers and over guards and out wide. So the Browns are going to move him around a lot and maybe the Niners are ready for that. And they're just going to dictate, use his positioning to dictate what they're going to do on a given play. But this stat blew me away. So I went to go look at miles Garrett's pass rushing numbers, right on, on pro football focus. And I thought he'd be one of the, you know, top two or three guys in, in pressures in the league. No, he's tied for eighth with 23 pressures. Nick Bosa actually has more pressures than he does. But the guys he's tied with, Alex Highsmith from Pittsburgh, also has 23 pressures, uh, 160 pass rush snaps. George Karloftis, also 23 pressures, 164. Cameron Jordan for the Saints also has 23 pressures. He has 180 pass rush snaps. Miles Garrett has 107. He has 12 fewer pressures than Aiden Hutchinson, who leads the league in about half the amount of pass rush snaps. He also has six sacks. He is dominant, man. He's really, really good. Yeah, he actually plays for his team, unlike Nick Bosa. Um... (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully if Nick Bosa's there in street clothes, he can take some notes. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I I agree with everything you said. I also would go back to like the 2019 game when it was the Niners were missing Joe Staley and it was just in school at left tackle. I think, mm, was it left yeah. tackle or right tackle? Left tackle. Yeah, Justin School. And, no, and I think Daniel Brunskill played right tackle. I think they're missing both of them. Yeah, and they held Miles Garrett without a sack. So, yeah. I mean, that was a that was a obviously different game. Um, that was in Levi's, so, uh, you know. Miles but, Garrett's pass, pass rush win rate is 32%. It's good. That's crazy. 
He's number one in the league, by the way. Yeah. Well, since the Niners have a system quarterback, they run the ball more than any other team in the league. So <laughs> limited opportunities. New bit. Um, Brock Purdy joke. actually bad. <laughs> Listen to the last uh, no, Stephen podcast. Stephen makes some good points. <laughs> <laughs> Listen to the last podcast if you want an hour-long Brock Purdy discussion. And we're actually going to have a uh, an extended Brock Purdy discussion with our guy Matt Mayoko coming up here in yeah. a second. Um, but first, let's get to our prize picks. Love our prize picks. A little bit of a limited selection right now, I think, because of the weather and because of Deshaun Watson. They're probably waiting until he's officially ruled out before making numbers because that'll change game scripts and stuff like that. So that makes sense, uh, especially from a daily fantasy perspective. If you're not familiar with prize picks, well, you better get familiar because this is my new favorite part of the NFL season. It's super easy. It's daily fantasy, but you don't battle thousands of like other players or pros or sharks or, you know, people who are using computers to do this. You pick more than or less than on two to six player stat projections. And then you watch your winnings roll in like it's it's that easy. So this week, Chris, I think you and I have the same entry. Yes. If my if memory serves here. So Brock Purdy, his number is 203 and a half passing yards. That's his square. I'm going to go more than 203 and a half passing yards. And on a related note, I'm going to go more than 39 and a half receiving yards for Debo Samuel and more than 44 and a half receiving yards for Brandon Ayuk. And this is not because I think Brock Purdy is going to go back and sling it all around the yard, but our favorite cast member, Nick Wagner, who I don't think has gotten a mention yet. So I'm glad we snuck one in here. Our favorite cast member, Nick Wagner, covers the 49ers for ESPN. He mentioned that one of the things the Browns defense is not great at is tackling and limiting yards after the catch. And I could see the Niners having a little bit of a wrinkle or a little bit of something where Debo gets a 60-yard screen and and clears that 39 and a half. And then Brandon Ayuk, at the rate he's catching passes and at the depth that he's catching passes, he needs probably four catches to get over 44 and a half yards or uh, to go more than 44 and a half receiving yards. So that's where I'm going there. And then I'm going to go with Amari Cooper Browns wide receiver, less than 38 and a half receiving yards because of everything you laid out when we were talking about our what's on tap. It weather might be a factor. It's going to be a, either a rookie fifth round pick or a journeyman veteran who's making his first start for the team. I think the Browns are going to try and run the heck out of the ball, and I don't think they're going to have a ton of success when they do try to throw it. So I'm going to go less than 38 and a half receiving yards for Amari Cooper, and that's my entry for week six. It's mine too. Let's do it. Let's talk to Mayoko. Yeah. You can join us real quick before we get to Matt. You can join us on Prize Picks. Go to prizepickscom slash candlestick and use code candlestick for a first deposit match of up to $100. Again, that's prizepickscom slash candlestick and use code candlestick for a first deposit match up to $100 hundred dollars prize picks daily fantasy sports made easy should we get to matt yeah wait till you see or listen to some of uh mayoko's hot takes because he he actually he is definitely not a hot take artist but man he he had a couple he had he a brought couple the flame today brought the flame floor let's and get honestly, to honestly i respect him <laughs> it's, it's now we respect him <laughs> <laughs> now we hold matt mayoko in high regard after this podcast hit take a listen <laughs> All right, Matt Mayo goes here, the legend, NBC Sports Bay Area, the 49ers Talk podcast. Matt, we appreciate you for, for jumping in here. I don't want to speak for Chris. I appreciate you for jumping on. I, so Kyle, cool. I know you, and I know you would not tell me a lie. So I know for a fact you appreciate me. Chris, on the other hand, I don't think I, I'm still trying to get on his good side. I yeah, you, you you got Aren't some work to do. I mean, I you're you're getting there. You're getting there. Um, yeah, the, we, we miss the longer we go without talking, the closer I get to getting there. <laughs> we missed you. We missed you dearly at the Cooperage event, but um, yeah. you know, there's a there's always next year. But, but I Maddie, thanks. You, I did see you Sunday night. That's true. Yeah, I did catch you at the uh, at the Niners Cowboys game, and I guess we can start there. Um, Matt, you've you've covered this team for a long time. You've seen a lot of different iterations of it. Does this like my, my big takeaway, I think, from the first five games of the season, I feel pretty comfortable saying the Niners are the best team in the NFL right, right now, based on what we know. And obviously there's a lot, a lot of football to be played. But when I zoom out and think about this team in the grander context, I kind of think of it like, you know, this is probably the best team the Niners have had, in my opinion, since the 1994 team. Um, and I would even dare to say that like the, the, 
Christian McCaffrey edition feels kind of similar to the Deion Sanders edition, um, given the impact and and sort of this feeling that that impact might put the team over the top. Um, do you do you agree with that? Do you think this is the best version of the 49ers since 1994? Where would you class this team through five games? Yeah, I mean, that's the key. Through five games. There's so much football left to be played, but through five games, I, I don't remember the team being as dominant and as workmanlike and as diligent and as dominating on both sides of the ball as they've been through these five games. So, yeah, I, I thought the, the Cowboys were going to be the stiffest competition that they would faced. Um, but probably they still are as far as the best team that they faced through five games, but they just looked like they're on a completely different, different level. So yes, through five games, it's really difficult to find a weakness. I think the only weaknesses are basically in names only, meaning, you know, you look at their offensive line, you go, Colton McKivitz, I never heard of him. He must not be very good. Well, it turns out after week one, he's played very, very good football. You know, you look at the nickelbacks and you go, okay, Isaiah Oliver, Diamador Lenore, and, you know, are they the best nickelbacks in the league? I, Probably not, but I don't know who are the best nickelbacks in the league. And you just look at it and their numbers are good. You know, yeah, they give up some plays. Every nickelback does, every cornerback does. But about the only bad thing I can say about them through this point in the season is they aren't even a third of the way through the season. So it's, it's a tough chore to try to show that consistency week in, week out. I mean, it's still what? three months until the playoffs even begin. Mm -hmm. So uh, yeah, I would say right now, you know, that, that the 2012 team was really darn good. Mm -hmm. Um, The 2000 and the, the the thing that makes that more like this is because I think after 2011, everybody was expecting the 49ers to be a really good team in 2012. So they came out, of the, you know, open the season, people were kind of gearing for them. The 2019 team kind of caught everybody by surprise. So it wasn't until, you know, maybe six games into the season where people started like, Oh my gosh, they're, they're a really good team. Mm -hmm. So this, this team has basically since losing in the NFC championship game to the point we are now. And of course, obviously beyond this point, they've been, a favorite, if not the favorite to win it all. I think part of it for me, because that's the big thing I keep coming back to is like, it's week five. There are teams who are two and three right now who are going to wind up winning like 12 games. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, they've won 15 regular season games in a row. Like this, this isn't just week five of this year. This goes back to week. Was it eight last year that this started? Um, six, sure. Yeah, six. Yeah. The, yeah. Week eight of last year that this started. So that's kind it, of was, what it was 10 I, last year, right? 10 last year and then five this year. Yeah. Week yeah. eight is correct. So they lost yeah. in week seven to Kansas city. Right. Right. Yeah. So I think that's part of the reason that there's so much like optimism that goes beyond just like the regular, Hey, it's week five. It's no, this is kind of two seasons of this. And this is largely the same team is, is, Christian McCaffrey, the big reason that they've won these 15 in a row or how much I, I, the, I'm trying to in a roundabout way ask, is it McCaffrey or is it, is it what Brock Purdy's done? Well, I mean, the easy answer and the accurate answer is yes. It's both of them. Uh, Who gets more of the credit? Who gets more of the credit? Um, Boy. I mean, I think the team changed when McCaffrey came aboard just because he gave them a weapon they've never had before. And he was the, the guy that, you know, the 49ers thought they were getting or hoped they were getting when Kyle Shanahan picked out Jarek McKinnon to be his, you know, the back, you know, Jarek McKinnon was going to be what Christian McCaffrey is. Now he got hurt. You know, he never really panned out with the 49ers and then he went on to the chiefs and he's been a very good player. But Christian McCaffrey is so much better than Jarek McKinnon. So, I mean, he can do everything and does do everything for this team. But I do think that with Purdy, he's enabled Kyle Sheenahan to do everything that he wants to do 
in his offense, including have a great deal of confidence in the quarterback. Whatever he draws up during the week and coaches up Brock Purdy to do, I, I think it's darn near at the point where it's 100%, mm-hmm. where he tells them what you know what the play call is, what the defense should be, and this is the, your read, and this is where the ball should go because this guy should be open. It's 100%. And, you know, I mean, Jimmy Garoppolo never had that or never won that kind of confidence, never earned that kind of confidence uh, from Kyle Shanahan that Brock Purdy earned, I mean, almost from the moment he stepped on the field. You know, that, that game against the Dolphins was kind of eye-opening and then playing hurt against Seattle in every game. I mean, it did not take long for anybody to look at the 49ers offense and, and say, wow, he's got the quarterback he wants right now. This guy is, you know, you can't say that a rookie is a finished product, but Brock Purdy stepped in and he looked darn near like a finished NFL product of a quarterback. Yeah, Matt, I was going to ask you who you thought the best nickelback in the league was, but I'm going to cross that off for now. Maybe yeah, we can talk about that. it. I would love time. to when, when we had that conversation, Chris, <laughs> I would love for you to present in a PowerPoint presentation your top five to seven nickelback okay. in the NFL. Okay, great. I'll do a Zoom invite. We share screens. It'll be yeah. it'll be fun. Um, but no, I, I wanted to to ask you about Brock Purdy specifically because I think the play on the field speaks for itself. Right. Like, I think the the production is sort of undeniable. I don't really want to get back into the discussion of like, is he actually good? Is he being propped up by the system? I think both things can be true. Right. He's playing really well within a really good system with really good skill guys. But you've covered uh, like some great quarterbacks some not so great quarterbacks. There's an element behind the scenes that really matters for quarterbacks. Right. It's leadership, work ethic, how you carry yourself day in and day out. And it sounds cliche. And from the outside, it might not sound super important. But as someone who's there like you are, how is Brock Purdy sort of the human being um, being received by his teammates? And and how is how, how does that impact the way or the winning that the 49ers are experiencing right now, in your opinion? He's he's 100%. He's batting a 1,000. Like, he is doing everything from the moment he got there. And, I mean, as soon as the season was over, I mean, I had, you know, a guy mm-hmm. in the locker room tell me that the locker room would be pissed if somehow Brock Purdy was not the starting quarterback next season. Well, we all knew that as long as he was healthy, as long as that surgery went the way it was planned, he was going to be the starting quarterback. And so – I, I've, I've seen teams, you know, like even like Alex Smith. I mean, there were times where as well-respected as he was, you know, there was some grumblings, you know, there was whatever Crabtree or whomever it might be, you know, wanting the ball more, or he didn't push it down the field as much as some people wanted. And he talked about a guy who did everything the right way. You know, he, it took him a while to kind of find his footing as an NFL quarterback and to find his confidence and uh, to, to kind of have that swagger, which I think he really developed uh, his last couple of years with the 49ers and then onward in his NFL career. But Purdy just has this like bizarre sense of confidence, self-assuredness and the experience to make like some unbelievable throws. I mean, like, some of the throws he makes when he's, you know, releasing the ball. And if you stop the, you know, the, the end zone angle, you can't tell who he's throwing to or how any pass could possibly be completed. And then you, you know, it's almost like he has this incredible vision to see like two seconds ahead of time. You'll know, make the throws he makes to no one. And next thing you know, the defense is going that way. The receiver is going that way and hits a guy in perfect stride. I mean, that stuff can't be taught and that stuff can't show up at the combine with a measurement of miles per hour on velocity or a 40 yard dash or any of that. And I think it in college too, I think it's so difficult for NFL teams to evaluate college quarterbacks is because, yeah, I don't know how many of those throws are made at the college level those kind of trust, anticipation, timing, precision throws. Most of the time, especially with the really good schools, you know, when, when you're talking about the, you know, Alabama's or Ohio States, 
and heck, I'll even say North Dakota State at that level, you're throwing to open receivers. Like these guys are running down the field wide open. So all you have to do is play pitch and catch, generally speaking. And so I, I don't know how many of those throws that Brock Purdy made at Iowa State, but that's I think that's why it's such a difficult thing to evaluate because there's no perfect metric to determine how a quarterback is going to succeed at the NFL level. It's almost like a, a different sport just because of the the skill set is is certainly not number one. The the aptitude and the vision and the anticipation and all that definitely ranks above a guy who can, you know, throw the ball 60 miles an hour. Matt, you've been around uh, this team a long time. You've seen a lot of quarterbacks. This is the second time you've said that. Like, are you guys, are you guys getting ready to like hand me a shovel and start digging my own grave? Like what, Matt, you are so old. (laughs) That's better. At least you're not beating around the bush. No, is, is Brock Purdy the best 49ers quarterback since Steve Young? Oh boy, that's a good question. I, I tell you what, um, based on how he's played in these 13 games, and I consider it a third, you know, what, what we've seen from his is 13 games. Yeah, I know it's, I think it's 10, 10 regular season starts, three in the postseason, but it's 13 games where he came in against the Dolphins. I don't even consider the NFC championship game because yeah. he played fewer than half the snaps in that game. They're 13 and zero in those games. And his worst game was still not very bad. Like his, and th- we're talking postseason pressure and everything else. Um, I, I would say, and I, I have no reason to think that he's a flash in the pan. Um, and the reason I say that is a, because he had already faced Seattle once last year and then mm-hmm. faced them in the playoffs. Seattle is always a well-coached defensive team led by Pete Carroll. So if they thought that they had the formula figured out, they would have brought it out there in the playoff game. What happens? Brock Purdy throws for 332 yards. Also, the Cowboys. Dan Quinn is about as good a defense coordinator as there is. You know the Cowboys wanted to win that game Sunday night. They had no answers for Brock Purdy. So the question in the offseason was, our defense is going to catch up to Brock Purdy. He just finds a way to stay one step ahead. And the the design of this offense keeps it that way because if teams try to take something away, then something else is open. So that's a very long way of saying, based on the throws he makes, the composure, the leadership, and everything else, playoff victories, uh, yeah, I think he is. I think he's the best quarterback since Steve Young. Wow. That's a that's quite the statement. Well, you get, I mean, you might get aggregated for that. Yeah, geez. Not that again. <laughs> um, you know, okay, you can make the you can make the argument for obviously Jeff Garcia, three time Pro Bowl player. And I, I guess you would have to say, you know, three times making it to the Pro Bowl with the 49ers, and then I think maybe a couple other times without, you know, not being with the 49ers. Uh, but I'm I'm merely saying that if you project what he's done over, I mean, he, if this continues, clearly he's going to be a Pro Bowl right. player. Mm-hmm. And if you continue, if he continues what he's doing, he's going to be a freaking MVP. And the last MVP of the four years I've had at the quarterback position, or well, any position, Steve Young. So mm-hmm. I don't I don't think it's too much of a stretch to say that. I, I you know I want to kind of you know, I don't want to go crazy with this, but there's just, I, I can't, I can't possibly poke a hole in anything Brock Purdy has done since he's been, you know, elevated or worked his way into the starting lineup. Yeah. He's on the you're, re- you're not, you're not ready to say he's better than Sam Darnold though. <laughs> well, he, you should see Sam Darnold throw. Okay. <laughs> Bastard. <laughs> I was not going to make the Sam Darnold joke, but I'm glad it wasn't me I mean, who did. You should see. I mean, Sam Darnold throws the ball better than Brock Purdy. There's I've heard no that. Thousand percent. He does. Thousand There's percent. no question he does. But Sam Darnold doesn't have all those other attributes that I talked about. So He's not yeah. a better quarterback. Sam Darnold, I mean, the first time I saw him throw, I had guys on the sideline coming up and said, boy, I was going to ridicule you, but – yeah, you might be right. So, you know, Sam Darnold can flat out throw it, but if Sam Darnold were called upon, Fort Harris would still win 
some games, they would still be a good team. But man, the, the stuff that Brock Purdy does, just his next level ability to to play the position, you know, he's far better than I don't know, far better, but he yeah, he yeah, I'd say that he's far better than Sam Darnold. Yeah, I, I talked to I think I mentioned this on the podcast before and I wrote about it for the B, but I, I talked to Tony Romo in uh, Lake Tahoe during the golf tournament. Nice and, name drop there. That's so sad. Well, I mean, we have the great Matt Mayoko on the pod, so I figured that's <laughs> that's sort of what we're doing today. Um, but I asked him about Brock Purdy specifically, and the thing he said, he just has a unique uh, a unique level of spatial awareness. And I never really heard about a quarterback talked about in those terms, right? Like, I've never heard people say something like that about a quarterback. It's always, always really accurate. His fundamentals really good, whatever. It's it, it was the unique spatial awareness that he has and just sort of the body control and the the ability to you know throw the ball to the right spot and you mentioned with the anticipation um i, I don't know i just find that really I, I find that really interesting and unique because that's not something you know when when you listen to people evaluate quarterbacks it's like well that guy's not really that spatially aware that's not really something that no. that you hear that you hear a whole I mean lot. I said that about you Chris but for quarterbacks <laughs> no I haven't that I'm not spatially aware yeah, yeah you you kind of like ball. sometimes you invade my space when we're when we're together but yeah that's anyway. fair it's like that's whoa fair. hey spatial awareness man <laughs> I say that a lot around Chris um I don't know I was I was trying to parlay that into a question but well, I think it's can I just yeah I, I, I kind of like what I said earlier not that I'm, you know, patting my break my hand, arm, patting myself on the back, but it's almost like he gets a snapshot in his brain of what's going to happen a second and a half or two seconds later. Yeah, and that is that is so unique. I mean, some of those passes that he threw in this game against the Cowboys, and he does it every week, and it's just I don't know. See the trust. Um, it's it's knowing the design of the offense it's knowing the design of the defense it's knowing where to put it and then being accurate precision precision the rhythm the timing all that stuff so yeah i mean spatial awareness absolutely all of that stuff yeah i, I think kyle shanahan oh, was ahead, like he, <laughs> after the game on sunday that was probably the happiest i've seen kyle shanahan really since like a playoff game maybe like the Packers playoff game after the 2021 season. Um, I don't know. I just, I get the feeling that there, like there was so much talk about Kirk cousins and how much Kyle Shanahan really liked Kirk cousins. I think we finally gotten to that point where Kyle Shanahan likes a quarterback better than he liked Kirk cousins. And I think he, I think he's genuinely over the moon about what he's getting from Brock Purdy. Okay. So I got made fun of for Sam Darnold. I'm going to make fun of you for Kirk cousins. How many Kirk cousins stories did you write that off season? Uh, I was absolutely correct because later Kyle Shanahan, I forget exactly when he went on Tim Kawakami's podcast and said, yeah, we were planning on trading for or signing Kirk Cousins. And so, yes, I, I, I had, we can all be was... correct. Cause I was, I'm correct about Sam Darnold. <laughs> um, well, here's the thing. I mean, now, okay, here's a question for you. Sure. If the 49ers could trade straight up, Brock Purdy for any quarterback in the league, they wouldn't do it because of the not. contract. Well, yeah, but still, they would not. They there is not a quarterback in the league that they would trade straight up for Brock Purdy. Not one. Is that a question or a statement? That feels like a I love it. It's a question. <laughs> so if and the then Chiefs, I say, if the Chiefs called and said we want Brock Purdy, take Patrick Mahomes off our hands, they'd say no. Yeah, yeah, because you know what. Then the four errors would have to like make some very significant changes to the roster. Yeah, man, Matt is bringing the takes today. Well, I mean, they did right? just clear a bunch of cap space, though. You know, I heard that. Sure. Okay. <laughs> and the other part of it is, I mean, Kyle Shanahan has a guy who runs his offense as well as any quarterback that he's had. Yeah. So, I mean. Is Patrick Mahomes a better player than Brock Purdy? I mean, maybe this is, of course, everybody yes. knows. I mean, he's yeah. he's an MVP. He's a two-time Super Bowl winner. He's a great quarterback who's going to be in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Obviously, we can't say that about Brock Purdy. But 
all the things that Brock Purdy brings to the table. I mean, we could just, we could make a list a hundred long of all, everything he brings to the table. And very high up on that list is he's all that as a player and off the field and everything else. But also he's basically under a set contract for the next two seasons and enables this team to stay together. I mean, if, if, uh, you know, just, of course, I mean, it's a, it's a silly conversation, but that's why I brought it up. I mean, they would be paying, I don't know what Mahomes is making now. I know he just redid his contract, but he's got to be up 50 million or 50 whatever. Million call yeah. Well, the cap hit this year is 37 million. So he's essentially like what? 38 times. what yeah. I mean, making. they could fit in, they could fit in that contract, but for now, right. But you know, the, at some point, they would have to get rid of so many players, and they wouldn't be able to re-sign, uh, you know, Brandon Ayuk, and they might have to make a tough decision on Debo Samuel or George Kittle or. I mean, so they would have a really difficult time keeping the team together. Now, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe maybe they would trade for Patrick Mahomes. I just I, I think that they like what they know, and what they know right now is a quarterback who is just spot on basically with everything he's done. It feels like the players have this really like public reverence for Brock Purdy in a way that they, they haven't for any other quarterback in, in this, in this Kyle Shanahan era. Is that the case behind the scenes too? From uh, what you gather? Yeah, I'd say so. Yeah, I'd say so. I think everybody liked Jimmy, but Jimmy was kind of, you know, kind of an oddball. You know, whenever a guy disappears off the face of the earth and doesn't return text messages, you know, I know it's a, a running joke and all that, but that's a little bit weird. You know, let's yeah. admit that. Um, but yeah, I think just everything, uh, everything he, yeah, he has a, an ability to to relate to people. And, you know, I mean, you hear players talking about him, you know, players on both sides of the ball. It's, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I would say in the in the Shanahan era, Absolutely. And even going back so far, you know, going back a ways, um, they also have done a really good job of getting kind of the right kinds of guys. So they don't have a bunch of disturbers in the locker room. I just did a story this morning about, I asked Brandon Ayuk, what, you know, can you tell through the course of the practice week, who's going to shine on game day? You know, which of the receivers, you know, between Ayuk, Debo Samuel, George Kittle, and he said, no, he said, there will be times where, you know, during the week of practice, Kittle's catching all kinds of passes. I'm thinking, oh, Kittle's going to have a big game. And then he doesn't, you know, he has one target and Ayuk, who wasn't expecting a whole lot of action. He gets six targets, you know, 148 yards. And then another game, this game against the the Cowboys, Ayuk was like, man, this is going to be a big day, another big day for me. And it ends up, it's, you know, the George Kittle show. And so, Brock is also in a really good situation where he has a you know tremendous mm-hmm. supporting cast, but also if Debo Samuel doesn't have any catches like he he didn't have against the Cardinals or Kittle doesn't have a big game, you know no one's bending his ear, no one's complaining, no one's you know crying. They know at some point it'll all come around. So um, I to, yeah. for that I I give. John Lynch and the personnel department. And I guess also Shanahan, a lot of credit for just, you know, getting the right kinds of guys in that locker room. Speaking of uh, disturbers, this is, this is the the best way I could try to transition away from Brock Purdy into, into something else. Um, <laughs> Randy Gregory, pro- probably yeah. going to make his 49ers debut on Sunday. Um, he obviously has a checkered pass with the suspensions and everything like that. Um, I don't know that he's necessarily viewed as a as a disturber, but I would say, you know, anybody with that type of history would come with a little bit of risk just in terms of, you know, availability or whatever. Um, the, it seems like a low risk move from the 49ers perspective, given the Broncos are paying the, the vast majority of his contract and the Niners didn't give up so much in that trade. Um, but what's your what's your expectation for what the 49ers are going to get from Gregory on Sunday in Cleveland and, and the rest of the season? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I mean, he, you know, his career has been more about potential than production. 
but as you mentioned, I mean, there's zero risk and they, they're not getting much production other than week one from that defensive end opposite of Bosa. So, you know, if you look at where the weakness of the 49ers is, that, that actually might be it where, you know, the two tackles are pretty darn good. Obviously Bosa's as good as it gets that other edge rusher spot could be a, a position uh, where they could, you know, use an upgrade. So uh, what they gave up wasn't much, both in draft pick compensation and also as far as uh, the salary. Basically, he's playing for the veteran minimum the rest of the year. So, I mean, my guess on Sunday against the Browns is that he suits up and he plays, you know, 15 snaps, 15 to 20 snaps, and then it'll kind of build from there. And, heck, if he gets off to a good start Sunday and gets some good rushes, then it might be more than that. But I would think that it'll kind of become apparent as the season goes on, you know, just by how often we see him in the offensive backfield uh, getting after the quarterback. But, you know, he's he's a 16 million dollar a year player, at least the Denver Broncos thought he was when they signed him to that contract. And so for the 49ers to get him under the deal they did, um, it's, you know, I can't believe any other team. I can't believe there wasn't another team under those cer- same circumstances that wouldn't have given up a little bit more in draft pick, knowing that you know they would they would only have to foot the bill for the veteran minimum, um, if nothing else, just to keep them away from the 49ers. But uh, I, I I see it as a very low risk move. And yesterday on uh, Wednesday, I met him, and he was. He said all the right things. Um, he he looked genuine. Um, he is excited about fitting in and said he's coming here with no expectations and excited to get to work for Chris Kosarek. And I think he sees this scheme, which is a very aggressive, put your hand in the ground, go get the quarterback kind of scheme. He sees that as being a really good fit for him. So I would I would suspect that initially he'll be a situational pass rusher coming in on third downs and then as he gets more comfortable and if he is good on base downs too, maybe getting the work into the mix a little bit more there. But I I would think initially third downs is where you'll see him. The trade deadline's coming up on October 31st. Do you think Randy Gregory is kind of it, or do you think that they'll go try and improve maybe at defensive end? If, if Gregory's not working out over the next couple of weeks, maybe on the offensive line, what, what do you think? Uh, I would think that I, I would be, surprised if anything becomes available I, I would say the the only contingency would be I think this is why they cleared so much cap space is if there's a situation where one of their significant players gets injured and they have an opportunity to go get somebody but I I don't see them going outside at this point and getting a starter at any other position I, I just don't know that those I don't know that anybody's available that would be an upgrade over the guys they already have so i I would think that that would be more if there's something uh catastrophic that happens to one of their starters that makes sense who who do you who is like because we see it on the field like the 49ers again we've talked about it they don't seem like they have any weaknesses is there anybody that's that stood out to you um that's played above expectation outside of Brock Purdy, that's been sort of a surprise in your mind? How if I lump them all together? I, I would say the sure. offensive line. You know, I, okay. I would think a lot of people are like, oh my gosh, the 49ers offensive line. And it's, it, I realize I've been doing this long enough. I don't know if you guys know this, but I've been doing this a long time. So what? Just a real, so young. <laughs> yeah, thank, well, thank it's you. <laughs> it's the makeup. It's the, uh, the Botox. Um, I think everybody, every almost every team in the league or every fan base in the league, except for maybe like two or three, think that their cornerbacks are horrible and their offensive line is horrible. Because the only time you talk about those two positions, you know, other than if a guy gets an interception, but usually it's so-and-so got beat on the play to give up that 55-yard touchdown or so-and-so got beat on the sack. The 49ers offensive line is you know, if you look at it objectively, it's probably one of the top five, seven offensive lines in the league. And so that's probably the area where I don't know that the the team necessarily is surprised with how well they've played and how clean they've kept Brock Purdy. 
Um, but that might be the area. And I'd say McKivitz. What what kind of struck me week one was I think some of those were on Purdy as far as not getting rid of the ball uh, quickly enough. But every one of those sacks that uh, T.J. That Watt had, McKivitz was not getting any help. And so that that showed you right there, too, that they had enough confidence in him to hold up one-on-one against T.J. Watt. Of course, he didn't hold up one-on-one. But then talking to him that next week, I felt like you know th- there was a sense of confidence. And since then, I know he gave up a spin-move sack against the Cardinals, but I-, I would say, by and large, on that offensive line, it's been a pretty good group as far as protecting Brock Purdy and also creating the holes in the running game. This week, it sounds like Deshaun Watson is not going to play for Cleveland. He didn't practice Wednesday or Thursday. Uh, Justina Anderson from CBS Sports reported that he's not going to play. Is there any? Is there any? I, I guess concern is is the word I'll, I'll use. That this is where maybe the 49ers get complacent. 10 a.m. start against a rookie quarterback. Just try and toss their helmets on the I, field. I think it's and, gonna be PJ Walker. Game. So I think PJ Walker is gonna start. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. And, um. But you know, I don't. I don't think there's this group. I don't sense any complacency. I mean, Fred Warner was talking about a, a not a blown assignment, but how he played a wrong technique on a pass play Sunday night. So every guy. I mean, it's a very mature, level-headed group of guys. My guess is a lot of those guys on the defensive line are thinking this is a, an opportunity to, to feast, you know, a guy like Tashawn Gibson coming back to where he started his, his career. Um, the, the amazing thing. And I, you know, at some point I would think the 49ers are not going to play their best game, but I don't think it'll be a letdown. I just think that some, some games, it just doesn't happen. I mean, the, the Eagles probably don't feel like they played their best game when they played Washington, you know, they ended up winning in overtime. So um, I, I don't I don't think you'll see them getting complacent or oh looking past an opponent. I think when you get an opponent like this, I think offensively they know they have their work cut out for them because Cleveland has a very good defense. But I think mm-hmm. off, uh, for the 49ers defense, it's probably an opportunity. Like, hey, let's let's get a shutout. You know, let's you know Nick Bosa. Let, let me uh, let me go get three sacks. So I think yeah. I don't think that really. I don't think that really occurs the, as far as the letdown or looking past an opponent. You, you mentioned Fred Warner, and obviously he's a different type of, of linebacker than the 49ers have had in the past, whether it's Patrick Willis or Navarro Bowman. Um, do you think he's he's already in that tier of like, you know, sort of at his, at the peak of his powers, like an all-time great linebacker like like those guys are? And do you have any takes that about Fred Warner's place in history that he's like, the best defensive player since Ronnie Lott, or they wouldn't trade him for Patrick Mahomes or, or anything like that. Uh, I see what you're doing. You're trying to bait me into more uh, <laughs> aggregation. What's your hottest material. Fred Warner take? Yeah. You want me to just say, yeah, he's better than Patrick Willis. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, he's certainly on that path. Yeah. What is he in? He's in his seventh year, I think. And uh, six, six, six year. Okay. So he's, and he's had uh, two all pros. That's, that's, you know, that's rarefied air there. Um, Patrick Willis was all pro every year. You know, he was pro bowl every year. So, uh, you know, right now he's playing at the absolute top of his game. And could you say that right now he's playing as well as Patrick Willis did in when Patrick Willis was in his prime? Yeah, you probably can say that. Uh, but now he's, he's just got to do it year after year but no I, I mean i look at these two guys right now greenlaw and warner and they are i mean they're difference makers i mean they fly around they're tone setters they're they're fast they're aggressive they get after you uh they do it all and so i think they're very much in that same conversation same breath as willis and bowman yeah I, they the, the haven't, thing done that just... it, haven't done it you know as long as those guys did The thing that stands out to me is how like Patrick Willis and Navarro Bowman were so perfectly suited to play against the offenses of their time. Like they were just the prototypical modern linebacker for their era. And it feels like Fred Warner and Dre Greenlaw are just kind of the next evolution of that. 
Yeah. And you know what? I, I remember early on uh, Navarro's first full year as a starter and even into his second year, you know, you'd be watching a game and you'd go, oh man, look at Willis. Isn't he something? And then you go right. like, oh no, no, that's, oh, that was Bowman. You don't, you don't have that with these two guys. I mean, you know, Fred Warner and you know, Dre Greenlaw. So they're, you know, they're different body types. Uh, I guess similar skill sets. I mean, Greenlaw is just so aggressive and always towing that line and always, yeah, always really (laughs) right there on the edge. And I think kind of gotten a, in some cases, a, a bad rap, uh, you know, some of those penalties have absolutely been deserved, but none of them so far this year have risen to uh, the threshold of getting fined. Now, I was surprised they didn't throw the flag on him Sunday night when he tossed uh, Tony Pollard out of bounds, and maybe he will get a fine for that, even though it wasn't penalized. But um, no, I, I'd say they're where Bowman and and Willis were. I, I mean, darn near completely interchangeable. Uh, I'd say Warner and Greenlaw are a little bit different and maybe complement each other in different ways and, and maybe even better than Willis and Bowman because, you know, kind of a, um, because of that ability, they, they have, you know, slightly different skill sets. One of the things I get asked when I go on like various radio stations or whatever is, is, um, is this season a failure for the 49ers if they don't win a Super Bowl? And before the season, my my initial thought was like, well, like you can have a really good season without winning a championship. I think that's, you know, there there are a lot of other teams that would love to have the 49ers problems if, you know, losing in the NFC Championship game or losing in the Super Bowl was, was deemed a failure. Um, but as the season's gone on through five games, I've come to the point where like, no, they're so good right now to where it would feel like a disappointment mm-hmm. if if they didn't win the Super Bowl, considering how high they set the bar. What I'm curious about and, and what I want to ask you is like, how do you think 49ers ownership and, and their brass feels about that exact question? Because, um, you know, it's easy for the fan base who's obviously far I mean, the fan base is invested, don't get me wrong, but it's not its not their jobs, it's not their livelihood. Like, how do you view ownership's answer to that question? Like, do you think Jed York will view this season as a failure and it will be, like, super heartbreaking? Or is Jed York of the mind that, like, yeah, we got a great team and if we don't win, that sucks, but we'll probably be as good as anybody else next year, too? Well, I think from ownership and management, all they can do is is what they've done. They've, they've put the team in position to win it all. There's no question. I mean, you ask anybody around the nation or anybody who's watched one NFL game, you'll name four teams and the Super Bowl champ is going to come out of one of those four teams. Everybody's going to pick the 49ers. So they put themselves in that position. But once the playoffs begin, and, and remember the playoffs begin three months, you know, it's three months away. So, in order to answer the question, will it be a disappointment if they don't win it? I'd have to know how they didn't win it. Like last year to me was, yeah, everybody was disappointed that they didn't win. But also when guys left that locker room in Philadelphia, they knew there were no regrets because they had no chance to win. When, when your quarterback you know, doesn't have a right arm and he throws right-handed theoretically, and I would say almost the same thing the year before where they made it to the NFC championship game and Jimmy Garoppolo, you know, had a, a torn ligament in his thumb and he had a shoulder that needed surgery. And so, you know, if they're, if they're playing at full strength and, and they make it to the NFC championship game or the Super Bowl, and there's some, mess ups, whether it's coaching or, you know, a high profile player missing an assignment or whatever, you know, it's, it's, it's a tough question to, to answer because I would say at this point, not knowing how the end would come. Oh, everybody in the organization would be disappointed to, you know, flip forward four months and see 
the the sports almanac that has some other team than the 49ers winning the Super Bowl. But you know, I I almost think that it was it was less painful last year um because of the way it ended. I mean, it was basically mm-hmm. completely out of their hands of how the the end of the season came about. Yeah. Uh Matt, this has been great, man. Thank you so much uh, for your time. I know your bedtime's coming up, so yeah. we're oh, get wow. you out of here. Yeah, my uh, I got some uh milk on the stove right now, warming up <laughs> the milk before I go to bed. Uh, no, <laughs> I don't uh, Kyle, Chris, thank you for having me. Thank you for having me on. And uh, for this being my final appearance here on Grinner. It was good that we went out on a high note. Yeah, oh, that's, that's, that's great to hear, Maddie. All right, we will talk to you soon. Hopefully, um, hopefully mm-hmm. I'll see you around. And uh, safe travels to Cleveland, my friend. Sounds good. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks, Matt. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com